Hey friends, and welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast. I'm your host, Ren Robbins, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. Each week, I get to chat with a friend who has a story to tell, a dream that she's pursuing, or a passion to share with you. Are you enjoying the podcast? I would love if you could write a short one-line review over on iTunes. It would help the podcast out so much. would love to get to my goal by the first of the year. I have a goal in my head that I would love to get to. Could you help with that? Thank you for coming back each week and listening to the conversation that I have with friends. Okay, let's get to today's episode with Lauren Denton. I picked up one of Lauren's novels in August, and I loved reading it. Born and raised in Mobile, Alabama, Lauren now lives with her husband and two young daughters in Homewood, just outside Birmingham. In addition to her fiction, she writes a monthly newspaper column about life, faith, and how funny and hard it is to be a parent. On any given day, she'd rather be at the beach with her family and a stack of books. Doesn't that sound good? Her debut novel, The Hideaway, is USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Amazon Charts bestseller. Her second novel, Hurricane Season, released in April 2018 and was listed on BookPage's 2018 list of most anticipated fiction. It's episode 64, and we talk about how Lauren's love for reading and writing came in at early age and how she realized her calling was to write. She is a thoroughly gifted writer, and I was thrilled to be able to chat with her. She's a big deal, y'all, and I'm thankful she was able to sit down with me and give me a few moments and chat. We talk about how she manages her writing and being a mother to her two young girls. I love how Lauren's stories always have hope and redemption that shines through. We talk about what Lauren does when she gets stuck writing and cannot write anymore. I love how she brings everyday moments into the light when writing a column for Homewood's newspaper, The Homewood Star. You will think you are chatting with a friend. Lauren is warm, she's inviting, and she shares her story with us today, and I'm so very grateful. You will love her and will want to read her books. So here is my conversation with Lauren. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited. I first heard your name from my friend Holly Mackle, and she is a good friend of yours. Y'all both live in Birmingham, and she's also a, a curator of, of uh, short stories. Same here, sister friend that I've talked about before on the podcast. And she told me about you, and uh, <laughs> it was so crazy because she told me about Hurricane Season and The Hideaway, the novels that you've written. And all of a sudden, literally probably a week later, maybe a few days later, I walk into my bookstore at church and there sits hurricane season. Oh, that's great. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I was I was like grabbed it immediately. And I was like, oh, okay, well. digging into this immediately. So I was just yes. like, I know her. Not really, but I know her. I know her <laughs> but friend. I do. <laughs> yeah. And then we started chatting on Voxer um yes. a couple weeks ago or last week. And um I'm just excited to have you on the podcast. So thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And sweet Holly's so good about connecting people. So I'm glad she put my name in your ear so we could yeah. so we could meet officially. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. So um, and I loved hurricane season. I loved it. it Thank I, you. I'm not usually a reader, a real big reader. I don't think yeah. of myself as a reader, but this novel had me glued to the pages. I oh, mean, I'm so glad. Just, you know, the characters and how, um, it was Betsy and Jenna and they were sisters and how they, 
um, lived in the South, and they were very different characters, but um, they were living through this hurricane season um, and just the different things that are going in their lives. So I'm going to jump in yeah. and ask you a little bit about it. Okay, we're talking let's about go. It. Yes. Tell me, how did you start this novel? Like, hurricane season, like, what gave you the thoughts? Like, you're in Birmingham, so have you ever experienced a hurricane? Like, tell me a little bit about yeah. it. Okay, there's a lot of parts to this book. So, or my inspiration for the book. I'm from Mobile, which is way down, you know, on the water. So hurricanes are a regular part of life. Living in Birmingham now, it's not quite as much, but my parents are in Mobile. We have a place at the beach right on the on the Gulf. So, I mean, from June to September, we are, you know, watching the weather and seeing what's happening. So I, I just, I, the way that tension kind of works its way through people's lives mm. for those few months, I knew that that would be a good base for some kind of story. Totally separate from that, when I first started putting together ideas for kind of just story ideas, things I thought it might be fun to write about, I always thought it would be fun to set a book on a farm. And I have no experience living on a farm, being on a farm, but okay. I thought, I'm not going to live there. So the next best thing is I could just put a book there. So that had been kind of swirling in the back of my mind. And then one day I was at our zoo with my girls and we have a Birmingham zoo has a children's zoo. That's like a petting zoo and there are cows and sheeps and goats. And I just remember one afternoon it was, um, I was querying hideaway, trying to find an agent for it. And I was kind of thinking what my next book was going to be about. And I remember walking through trying to keep my girl's hands out of the goats and all Uh. of this stuff. And I just had this flash of two girls in a barn. And then I thought there, there's, there could be a husband and wife and it's a dairy farm. There are no cows at our zoo, but for some reason, dairy farm popped in my head. And I just kind of started thinking about this couple on a dairy farm with these two girls. And I thought, what if those girls aren't their children? Whose Mm. children are they? And um, it just kind of started swirling. So as I was trying to keep my kids from, you know, having the goats like eat part of their clothes and I was thinking, (laughs) oh my gosh, I've got to get home and write the story down. This could really be something interesting. So that's kind of, and then. I love that so much. I put the hurricanes and the cows together and it became this dairy farm close to the Gulf. Um, and these two little girls romping oh. on the farm for the summer. Yes, I love <laughs> yeah. it. That is so neat. Do usually ideas for your books come like while you're doing normal daily life? Is that how Absolutely. It comes? Okay. Yes. And That's so awesome. I have a, a pen and paper with me all the time and the notes section on my phone. I'll just jot things down. Um, I mean, I, they really don't come with me sitting down with paper trying to outline mm-hmm. things. Really, ideas just kind of hit me randomly. And then I have to, if I think about it for long enough and it stays in my head, I'll think maybe I should start trying to outline this idea and see if it has legs and see if it can, you know, support a whole book. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) That is great. Okay. So let me take, take me back to your childhood. Okay. And when you first remember writing the first time you remember writing something, you know, like in a journal. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay. So I've, as I've told you, I've journaled, or as I think you've read, I've journaled pretty much my whole life mm. in random little notebooks. My, I remember buying my first one, or maybe my mom bought my first one. I was probably about the age of my, my 
my daughter's about to be nine and I was probably around there because I, I, it was puffy pink blue cover with a key on it. Oh yeah. Because everything I wrote was really secretive, I'm sure. Because <laughs> you were but nine. I, I remember, yes, and everything's <laughs> very important. I remember uh-huh. sitting in the mall with, I think we had gone to, my mom probably would not remember this story, but we had gone to the mall with my aunt and my cousin, and I remember opening that thing and just writing, and there was something about that blank page that now is a little terrifying. It's a little exciting <laughs> and a little terrifying. Um, but I would write everything from, I mean, stuff about my friends and food and pets and just really unimportant things, but in the world of a nine, 10, 11 year old, it gets really important. And, but as I move toward high school and life getting more serious, I, I mean, I would fill pages about boys and what I wanted to do with myself and, but still never thinking that this writing was really going to turn into anything. It just, from an early age, I think writing was my way of kind of processing life and figuring out what I thought. And even now, if I'm feeling the need to really have some serious prayer, I write my prayers down because mm. my, my thoughts are just so scattered all the time that I get a notebook and a pen and I can coherently mm. get out what I want to say. And um, so that's just always been the way I've kind of calmed things down and found mm. some sort of sort of straight road through all the chaos going on in yeah. my head. Um yeah, well, so the journal is a big help. Yeah, yeah, and that's neat how some people do that, where they journal their prayers, and that it's God has given you such a gift because just to even you know be walking at the zoo and just thinking <laughs> and having a story that came to you, and then but then putting it down like how you do, like it's it's there. It's just an art. It's just an art. It's in a creative yeah. art, and you have such a talent for it. So oh, thank you so much. I, I think, think so much of it is so mysterious because I look at that book yeah. in the hideaway and think, how in the world did I do that? So, That's I mean, awesome. it's almost like after the book's done, I think, mm-hmm. I really do think in, in some way it, it really is kind of divinely inspired because I have an idea about hurricanes and cows and somehow it turns into after a year of work. I mean, it's oh, not like sure. do this in, sure. you know, yeah. a few months, but yeah. after a lot of work, it turns into the story that I hope will make readers think, Oh, I've thought that too. That is my whole goal is mm. just to, to give people that experience of somebody else has experienced this thing that I have felt, mm. but I've never been able to really put into words or I've never been able to talk about, um, yeah. That's that's kind of my hope that yeah. in all of this fumbling for a year of trying to mm-hmm. throw words on a page, it ends up with you or somebody saying, "Oh my gosh, that is that's me. I've felt mm-hmm. that too." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the hope. Well, you definitely, yeah, it, mission accomplished for sure, for sure. Well, we feel like you. we're in the story. Um, who do you feel like, without giving too much away of the book, because um, some of my listeners might not have read it yet, but sure. Jenna is a, Jenna and Betsy are sisters. Betsy and right. her husband live on a, the dairy farm. And um, which one of those sisters do you identify with the most? Oh, I really, there's pieces of both of them that mm. I really do identify with. Um, and not to give things away, but Jenna is a single mother and her children are very important to her, but also her creative life as a photographer that she had to kind of put on hold when she had her kids. That part of her life is important to her too. And I really saw Jenna as kind of any sort of um, person who finds 
some purpose in something outside of their children mm-hmm. and trying to find a, a balance. I think that can be kind of a bad word, but trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to combine the two parts of your life, the parts, the creative part of your life where you find purpose and calling in that part, but you mm-hmm. also find a really important purpose in your children and trying to put those things together. I kind of felt that push and pull with Jenna. I could kind of empathize mm-hmm. with her, even if she made some decisions that I wouldn't make as a right. mother or as a, as a woman, you know, I still could empathize with her reasoning behind her choices. Mm-hmm. But then Betsy, huh, from the beginning, I have a really soft spot for her because my husband and I went through all the fertility roads as we were trying to have our, or infertility roads as we were trying to have our children. So I felt like I could really put myself in her world and know what those feelings are of having to look ahead and think, what if things don't look the way we always thought it would? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I think both both women, um, I could be right there with them mm-hmm. in different ways. Yeah. Well, and I love that, that you can see yourself in both of them and that they are very relatable, I think, um, in your, you know, your characters. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Very relatable. Um, So how do you like, like um, Jenna and the story of finding that uh, balance or finding, um, you know, of how to do both well, where do you fall in that? How do you do it? Well, Well, I, um, Basically, now my writing time falls between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. I only do it while my kids are in school. And I don't write for that whole seven hours because there's other things that have to happen (laughs) during those seven hours to keep life going. Yeah. But I just don't do any of it while they're around. And I really and it's hard to take that writer hat off because I feel like half of my brain is is still sort of cranking with this story. Sure. But I really even especially as they're getting older and they they want more from me in different ways than they did when they were a kid. I feel like my attention needs to be um, as focused on them as possible when I'm with Mm -hmm. them and let them have my full attention rather than me being like, hang on, let me just type this thing. So I just keep the computer shut. Um, But it's hard because the writer's Uh, brain is always working, but Mm -hmm. I just try to, I really keep it to eight between eight and three. And occasionally on Saturdays, my, my husband will take, do something with the kids so I can go for a chunk of time yeah. on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon and, and try to have that, that time as well when That's I'm on a deadline. But, yeah. but it's, it's hard. Oh, but yeah. I, think there's, I think there's value too in my kids seeing me working really hard at something that has nothing to do with them. Seeing mm. me um, have something that I really want to do because then I can turn around and tell them this is so hard and there are days when I don't want to do it, but the payoff is great and hard, you know, all the hard work makes you stronger and all that, that I'm sure half the time falls on deaf ears, but something in there, no, they're hearing it. Yeah. I hope wow. I want them to see, I, I think they see that I'm pretty proud of it, despite the fact that, you know, it's, it's a struggle. Um, mm. you know, my daughter is about to be nine and she really struggles with math. That's a really hard thing with her. We have to work really hard. And so I often will, I mean, I don't use, I don't try to say like, well, here's how it is for me. But I think she sees that sometimes my writing days are struggles and that Mm. I keep pushing and I try to encourage her in that same way. So Mm. hopefully it all will help them. It'll all serve to help them. That's a great lesson. And I love that, that you're putting boundaries around your time, but then also wanting them to see the struggle and see that mom is doing something outside of them. I love that you said that. Um, That's really good. I think it's got to be a a good thing. I remember, I mean, my mom did stay home with us, but 
there were things that she really found a lot of enjoyment in that didn't have anything to do with us. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom is, is great at flowers and, and gardening and all these, and she would take art classes and just random things that mm. it's like, mom has these interests that don't, that aren't <laughs> me and my brother. And that's a good thing. And now as an adult, mm-hmm. I value that even more. So sure. yeah, um, definitely. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I didn't ask about you and your family. How long did, did you struggle yeah. each time you and your husband struggle each time? Because you have two girls and yes. one is almost nine. And then how old yes. is the other one? Six? Kate, Kate is almost nine. Sela is six. Okay. Yes. And we did, we actually, I mean, we did the whole shebang. We did IVF for both of our kids and all the things that lead up to that, that yeah. didn't work. Yeah. But we were really lucky in that it did work for us both times. And so mm. we have two beautiful daughters. Mm. And it, I, at one point I thought, this is going to rule, this is going to be our story that we were, uh-huh. that we uh-huh. had to use infertility measure, or, you know, the doctors and the clinics and all that stuff. And I remember somebody telling me, when you have these kids, you are not going to think about this anymore. This is going to be how it started. But mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the kids are kids, regardless of how you got them. Yes. And whoever, I don't remember who told me that, but I rarely think about that part of our life, but I, when I do, I want it to be able to help somebody else. Cause there's so many yes. people who struggle to have kids and yeah. Yeah. I, I hope, you know, I didn't want to tie Betsy's again, I'm not going to give things away, but yeah. I don't like things tied too perfectly at the end of a story with the uh-huh. bow and everybody is just perfect. So uh-huh. That's I good. like to leave hope for good mm. things, but mm. not having everything work out perfectly because life doesn't always work out that way. Cause so. it doesn't. Yeah. I love that. That is good. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So, um, tell me, take me back when I read that you have in your basement, you have a yeah. trunk. I know this is crazy Halloween's tomorrow and I'm like, yeah, what's right. in your trunk in your basement? It's not a scary trunk. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you have in there? I think it has a lot to do with your story. Yeah, I actually just went back. I hadn't looked in it in years. We just moved to this house about a year and a half ago, and we picked up this huge, heavy trunk. And my husband was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) picked it up from that house and moved it to our new house. And I still didn't go through it, but I just went through it. I don't know, a couple of months ago, there's this other author named Susanna Lewis, and she, she her, her blog is called Whoa, Susanna. And oh, she's I've hilarious. heard about her. Yes, yeah, I have heard really about really great. Her. Uh-huh. But she said something on Facebook about having instructed her husband to burn her journals if she ever has an early demise. And I started thinking, maybe I need to look and remember what's <laughs> in those journals. But they, I mean, it... I actually don't have that pink and blue puffy covered journal that I thought I hung on to, but it is not in my trunk. So I guess it could be in my parents' closet, but I have, it's mostly what I have now is middle school and on through high school. And some even of, as an adult working after college, it is just jam packed with notebooks, spiral notebooks, um, some pretty journal covers, some just tatty dollar store notebooks of... Mm my heart that I have poured out on the page. And some of it was a little too painful to read because I mm. remember some of those struggles in college and, you know, d- just, just random struggles that I, you know, it's all, you, when you have a journal, you pour out your heart without regard of anybody reading mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So even me coming back 20 years later, reading it, I almost felt like, I don't, I feel like this should just rest in mm-hmm. its little mm-hmm. untouched state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I did tell my husband, if I should pass away untimely, <laughs> please take care of them. So my daughters don't read them because I feel like some mm. of that stuff, 
I want to be able to explain on my own and not have them read those just, yes. you know, yes. super personal, you know, uh-huh. I don't know, the angst of a 16 year old or yes. 18 year old. They don't need to really see that part of me. <laughs> right. So, oh my goodness. That's the so trunk interesting. Probably, the trunk itself probably needs a lock on it. I <laughs> uh, love it. A lock trunk. <laughs> well, when did you, through all your journal writing and, and realizing and just pouring your heart out. And I think you said that you would write out your prayers and that would yeah. be like um, your time with the Lord. How did you realize, when did you realize that you really had a gift at this writing thing? Oh man. I, so I, the first, oh, the first book I wrote, the first manuscript I wrote was in 2011. So I was, my daughter was two at that point. It was a couple years after I stopped working. I think it was in the few years after college when I was working. I'm, I was backtracking in my head, but sitting in front of a computer for most days and having a little bit of downtime at work, I just kind of started typing out ideas. And I would get, I have sto- old stories that are somewhere on, probably not even on a thumb drive, probably on a floppy disk somewhere oh, wow. that can't can't be used in anybody's computer anymore Uh of 10 pages, 20 pages Mm. of just random bits of stories that I had. Mm. But it wasn't until, I don't know why I got the idea to actually start writing a manuscript when I had a two-year-old, but um, (laughs) it was 2011, Kate was two, and this really bad string of tornadoes came through Birmingham. Mm. And I had this idea of a, a story that started with that storm. And I wrote this story in six months, and it was the first book that I finished to completion. That it took me six months. I thought it was awesome, mm-hmm. um, and I sent it off to two friends who had, had were really good readers and had been editors, and really expecting to get kind of a pat on the back. And this mm-hmm. is awesome. This is great. And mm-hmm. they thankfully told me how much work it needed to kind of shape it into something good. Mm-hmm. But I really think that writing that book was what kind of lit a fire to let me know this is, this is what I want to do, but I still didn't know if I was any good. I just had this lifetime of reading, a love of reading and a love of story and a love of story set in the South. And I just had this urge to get these, get a story out that could do for other people what books do for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got the idea for the hideaway not too long after my, that first book that I now pretty much call my bad book. It was just the book that's now under, under my bed, not probably not going to see the light of day, but mm-hmm. I got the idea for the hideaway for this kooky old lady who lived in a house and I got about halfway through and I got stuck. So I joined a writer's group mm-hmm. and that what I did it with a friend. So I had my friend in there and three or four other people who didn't know me weren't, wasn't my husband or my mom who mm. loved everything, everything I wrote because yeah. they loved me, <laughs> right. but it was people who had, who could be really objective and hearing mm. them say, this is a good story. Mm. You're a good writer. Made me feel like they have no reason to tell me that. They don't have to say right. Nothing. Yeah. So that group really was a big encouragement um, yeah. to keep writing, and I stayed with them for a long time. Just it was a great environment to yeah. have my to get good feedback. Yeah. But as far as I mean, it's hard to know what your calling is or what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I think I think God's given me a talent for words, but. I don't know. It still gets muddy some days. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know how far I'm supposed to push this thing and how far I'm supposed to keep going. Yeah. Well, and talk to me a little bit as, I mean, you are a novelist and, and your genre is Southern fiction. Right. Um, yeah. 
how do you how does faith intersect that? How does faith intertwine with that? Yeah. As you are not a you know, you're not a Christian writer, but you are a writer who is a Christian. So yes. how does that yes. intersect in well, the secular world? Well, that's a good question because I think there's a big difference between being a Christian writer and being a writer who happens to be a Christian because mm-hmm. I I really don't read much Christian fiction. Not that there, um, there's no judgment. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just yeah. not what I've picked up over the years to read. Mm-hmm. But the books that I really love are books that have hints at redemption Mm. filtered in that are not over the top and preachy, Mm -hmm. but that you kind of, as a reader, feel smart because you're like, Mm. I see this thread in here, Mm. Um, but nobody's given me an altar call. This is not like a, here's the path to salvation. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of what comes out in my stories because it's hard for me to write and not have hope in there because that's Mm. what I want to convey to people. Mm. But I also don't, I can't write anything that sounds preachy. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I, when the hideaway came out being from a Christian publisher, there was, I I got a lot of emails from people who were not happy with um, the fact that the hideaway didn't follow the traditional mold of Christian fiction. It didn't, Mm. I didn't have a lot of Jesus in there, but I think in a lot of ways, there's hope and redemption in that story and in how to, and in um, hurricane season and in my next story, Glory Road, even without being over the top mm. preachy and churchy, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just really like to show some hints. I like the redemption and hope to be hints mm. and glimmers rather than like full on. Mm-hmm. Here's how, here's how to, to get mm-hmm. to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Got to be a middle ground to reach more people, really to reach the people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. don't really want that over the head hit with. Yeah. With yeah. Gospel well, and you're in the world, you're not of the world, but you're in the right. world. And right. like the scripture says, and I think yeah. that's great. I think, yeah. I think it's kind of like a hidden, the hidden gem in it, you know, that you can yeah. find the redemption that you can see it. Right. And right. I love that. I think that's great. Okay. I think that's but awesome. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I want there to be reality in there too, because life is mm. life isn't as sweet and cleaned up as some stories make it mm-hmm. out to be. Mm-hmm. My first editor said there are people who don't want to be preached at in their pleasure reading, but they still want to feel like good is going to come from this, and that's mm. that's kind of that's kind of where I. I try to walk that line in between the two. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, talk to me a little bit about when you got that two book deal from Thomas yeah. Nelson and yeah. then and and in the times when you got stuck, like you said, how did you get through that? You joined a, a writing group, which was, yeah. I'm sure, super helpful. And right. I keep hearing about these groups, and I'm sure, yeah. as a writer, that is huge. Um, right. But what did you? What else did you do when you were stuck? When you were just <laughs> like, "What do I do? What's the next thing?" Um, well, you're saying were as if I don't ever get stuck anymore. <laughs> yeah, because you're. I mean, you're I on your third book, you fourth know, book. I, you're fine. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, I think I have finally accepted that the struggle is always going to be there, and mm. I've heard enough authors say, "Every time I start a new book, I have no idea what I'm doing." And mm. the book that I'm writing right now, I'm just beginning to to start on book four. I feel like I am trying to build a, uh, this, uh, this writer said writing is like trying to build a boat while you're in the middle of the lake, like sitting on all your wood, you're trying to put your boat together mm. to keep from sinking. That is where I feel like I am. But I've heard the comforting thing is I've heard so many big authors say, 
I have to relearn how to write a book every time I start over. So Mm. I don't think that struggle is going to go away, but I think I can look back now and say, I've done this three times. I probably have an idea of how to do it again, even though it feels like this is just a sinking ship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, to the, to the, what you said about the writer's group, that is immensely helpful to have people who are not your family um, and who have no obligation to sort of live with you or make you happy, mm. giving you honest feedback about the book. Mm. I stayed with that, with that group, read my entire manuscript of The Hideaway, and then most of it a second time when I did a big structure re- change in the middle of it. They read all of that and, and read all of hurricane season up until... I don't think I got them all the way to the end. I had to pull out because I had to meet my deadline. Mm. But reading, having them read chapter by chapter really helped polish my stories as I go, as I went. And now I feel like I've, I kind of know how to do it without having that feedback. But I do think at some point I'm going to step back in that group and say, here's the first six Mm. or seven chapters. Tell me if I'm off on the right foot. Mm. Um, So that's, you have to find the right group. You have to be able to trust Mm. your group and have the right mix of people, but it can be really helpful to get out of your own head and get feedback from somebody objective. Well, and, and, and what would you tell a woman that has felt a calling and she's still kind of standing on the sidelines and what it could be a business. It could be writing. It could be um, a ministry. It could be podcasting. It could be anything. What would you tell her if she's standing on the sidelines and she's about to take the step and she's like, no, I want to know how to do it before I jump in. What would you yeah. tell her? Yeah. I, th- I mean, you're right. That can be anything. Even like mm-hmm. starting a new podcast, which I'm sure you had that fear too. Yeah. I've What I've learned through this, trying to get this fourth book off the ground is fear and doubt are, are such tools of the enemy. And I feel like I have been plagued by that those fears. And mm-hmm. I am having to work so hard to shut those voices off. Um, and I think... If it is something that you feel like, even if you don't feel like this is my lifetime calling, but I really want to see where this could go, mm-hmm. I would just encourage people to try pray as much as possible to shut that fear off and just know that only the next step is going to be illuminated. There's there's another author who said he feels like when he's writing, um, I mean when he's when, yeah when he's writing his headlights are just illuminating what's right in front of him mm. and you just have to have faith that the rest of the road is there even if I can't see it and so I have that image in my head of a step right in front of me and that's all I can see but I'm going to step onto that step mm. and then the light's going to get on in the next one and then I'm going to take that next step and wow. just praying against the fear that keep that really wants to keep us from doing anything good. And even if it's not good for the world, if it's good for you to be able to try this podcast or try this book or try this painting or art mm-hmm. venture, it's good for you. Therefore, the enemy is going to be trying to beat you back. So mm. I just really think just focusing on just taking that one little next step and then that one little next step. I'm having to tell that to myself every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll try mm-hmm. to pour that out on other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's like one step at a time. That's what our faith yeah. journey is about anyway. So, sure. okay. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great advice. Good. Okay. So you write for the Homewood Star and yes. you yes. write a column for yeah. your newspaper um, called Ordinary Days. What yeah. is that? I, I've read some of your articles and I love them. Um, I love how it is about ordinary days. So tell yeah. me what is, how did yeah. that column 
came to yeah. come to be and how did sure. you get the idea ordinary days? Okay, so the Homewood Star is a sort of hyper-local newspaper. They, this publisher puts out papers in each of the little suburbs around Birmingham. So okay. all, all these little communities have their own paper. And it's sort of taken the place of people don't read the newspaper as much. So we can open the star and get all of our local news. Okay. And they wanted to have a columnist from Homewood, from each of the areas in the paper. And the editor at the time was a friend of mine. And she said, I know you're a writer and you live in Homewood. Are you interested in doing this? You can write about whatever you want. Uh, and at that point, I was working on that first bad book, mm. and I thought, "You want me to write about whatever I want every <laughs> month? Of course, I'm going to take the I'm going to take that." Yeah. So it has evolved over the years to be pretty much what I'm learning as a parent, what I'm learning as a friend in marriage, just as a community member. Um, it truly is ordinary days because I don't write about anything um, too. Well, I was going to say I don't write about anything too weighty, but I do. I feel like I write mm. about things that are on my heart, and I try to write them in a way that, that can affect a wide group of people. So I don't just mm. stick to kids because not everybody has children. Not everybody's married, but, mm -hmm. but I try to apply whatever has kind of been on my heart to a, to a wider audience. And it's, I mean, there I have a column that I wrote about my daughter's socks because of the way she wanted to pull <laughs> her socks up to her knees every day for school. And I was trying to just tell her without saying it, oh, baby, people are going to make fun of you for these socks. But she was so adamant about that. And she wore her socks proudly pulled to her <laughs> knees. And then a friend of mine came and told me, my daughter told me Kate pulls her socks all the way up to her knees. And she has started doing the same thing. Oh, and my I'm goodness. For Kate for doing what she wanted. And here's her mama mm. trying to shape her into what I think she should do to not be laughed at. Mm. Kate doesn't care. So she wore her socks and just wow. things like that, that I really learn a lot through parenting. I mean, I think parenting mm. is the hardest thing I've ever done. So yes. I'm really learning a lot. So I try to, I try to share it with people, but the title, I, I just thought, you know, it was kind of tongue in cheek a little bit, but mm. my youngest daughter, Sela came home um, I think it was last weekend, she was moping on the kitchen counter saying, this is just a boring old Saturday. And I said, Sila, there's a lot of good in a boring old Saturday because it means we are not in the hospital. We're mm. not sick. We're well. We can do whatever we want. Ordinary is good. That's what we're shooting for. Mm. And then I thought, oh, that's my column. That is what we're shooting for just yes. sort of the grace of, of an ordinary day. Uh -huh. um, Beautiful. Where that comes from. That's yeah. great. And I, I love this that. month, I wrote this month about Voxer, which we discovered ourselves. Yes. On. That is like a shortcut to deeper friendships. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I just, I write about things that are happening. I love me. it. I love it. Yeah. And that's what people want. They want to, they want you to be relatable and you are, and they want to be able to relate to you. And then they want to hear about just ordinary things that we're sure. all going through. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So we're all going great. through the same things. Okay, good. Okay, tell me, what do you do with friends um, that that you love, that is life-giving, that yeah. you enjoy? Yeah, I think that's such a great question because I tend to be, I tend to huddle in my little comfort zone. And I, I have recently taken two road trips with friends. One of them was Holly and then another one's my friend Anna. We took two trips for book-related things and road trips are not always not uh, always an easy thing to do, but having face-to-face -face time with those girls just reminded me that we can text and we can box and we can do all this stuff all day long, but having face-to-face -face contact is when 
barriers come down more. And I feel like we were, um, when I get out of my comfort zone and I get over myself, you know, if I, if I actually make a lunch date or make a plan to go get drinks with friends after dinner or get coffee or get dinner, I'll tend to say, Oh, I just want to put my pajamas on and stay home. And my husband, Mm -hmm. thankfully is the one who will say, go. Mm. And I'll say, you're right. I need to do this. And then <laughs> it's talk about life giving. And I'm always so glad I've done it. And yes. so glad that I got myself out of my little hole to yes. go spend some face to face time with people. So mm-hmm. I have to work on that. I have to make myself do that. But it's that's always I think that you can't let texting and things like that take the place of just getting together with friends. That's so good. That's so good. When I had my first or my only um, it was, I didn't do anything for a few months and it was, I missed it. Like you could tell that I didn't have that one-on-one. Yeah. I texted and, um, at that time I didn't do Voxer, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's so important. It's so important. So yeah, Yeah. the berries come down. I like that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I ask at the end of each episode is, um, what are you eating? What are you reading and what are you (laughs) loving? I love these questions. <laughs> I like to okay. eat. I have to throw that okay. in there. Yes, I do too. I love to eat and we eat pretty healthy, but okay. I have, this, this is always my answer for what I love to eat. You're okay. going to laugh because I just said we're, we're healthy. <laughs> so my family, my nuclear family growing up, my parents, my brother and me, mm-hmm. not my dad so much. He doesn't eat junky, snacky things, but mm-hmm. my mom and my brother and I have a habit of eating Cheez-Its. Yes. And not, and and reduced fat cheese. It's not because they're reduced fat because you're still eating like cheese product that's not healthy. You can't make them healthy. <laughs> but the reduced fat ones are crispier. And we have Ooh. I have roped in my children, my husband, my yes. brother has brought in his wife. And if we're <laughs> on some sort of vacation or trip together, yeah. everybody knows there's going to be a box of cheese it's somewhere. Yeah. And my husband's still like he's going to listen to this and laugh. And I'm talking about cheese it's, but it is sort of a lifelong love. It is. Yes, you really like cheese it's. And do you get like the regular, or do you get like they're starting nope. to do like other stuff? No, I don't do flavors. Yeah. I do reduced uh-uh. fat, plain yep. old cheese it's. Yep. That's, hey, yep. My kids will be like, "Why don't you try the? I don't like even sour know sour cream and chive or something." Yeah. I was like, "Ew, no, no thank you, no." Nope. Not on Cheez-Its. Yeah, not on yes. Cheez-Its. Love it. That so that's like what it. I eat. I love yeah. cheese. All right, what are you uh, reading? And do you read novels or do you read like other, like um, uh, nonfiction? No, well, I do. I read a little nonfiction if it mm. reads like a story. Okay. But I mostly, I mostly read fiction. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't really have much time to read except when I go to bed. So mm-hmm. I'm always hoping for something that's going to pull me in and, and get me excited about keeping the light on longer than my husband would like me to, but he falls asleep. He falls asleep quickly. So it's okay. Right now I'm reading this totally wacky book that most people have read at this point called Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Have you heard about that? No. Okay. I think Reese Witherspoon picked it up. So it was a a big thing and it is wacky. It is, (laughs) she's a just sort of damaged neurotic woman who's trying to sort of move out of this sort of um rigid little life that she's been living and her whole thing is I'm comp- I'm fine I'm fine on my own I'm fine with my life but as we see her past says she is anything but fine it is it's it's different than what I usually read, but okay. I'm very curious to see where it goes. Okay, yep. that's good. That's <laughs> I don't know yet if I totally recommend it, yeah. but, it's, but I'm enjoying it so far. We'll okay. see how the end goes. Because okay. <laughs> some people, when they do, or when they are writing in their genre, if they're writing all, uh, you know, uh, novels, they don't yeah. read fiction. Yeah. So that's good. Oh, 
I do read fiction, but I don't read Southern women's fiction, Southern mm-hmm. women's fiction. I can't pick up somebody who's yeah. similar to me. So this, this book is way out there, which is why it's easier for me to read it that's, while I'm That's while good. I'm that's yeah. good. Yeah. I can't do that when I'm about to interview somebody. I don't listen. If they're on somebody else's podcast, I, I don't yeah. listen because I yeah. feel like I'm plagiarizing almost, you know, it's kind of, yeah, yes. I don't, I just don't do that because totally. I don't trust myself. I know I'll yeah. just go that way and I'll, it'll be a subconscious fault and there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. What are you loving? Okay. So my husband and I are on probably our second or third uh, time to go through the office at night. We're, we're watching the office Me too. and I love it. So are you really? Yes. What season are you in? <laughs> we are, Michael Scott has just left. I think it's okay. maybe season eight. We're pretty far. Okay. We're in um, three. We just, we finished and then now we're on three again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it yeah, is just, I so look forward to getting the kids in bed, take mm-hmm. my shower, mm-hmm. get my little ice cream and we sit down and we watch an yes. episode or two. Yes. And it's so enjoyable. <laughs> I had ice cream last night. Yes. I'm just oh, ready. Oh, it's yes. just like one yeah. episode just to kind of, and that's yes. our together time. And yeah, is, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. The office always, I mean, cause we can kind of be doing other things while we're yes. watching it. We've seen it a few right. times, but it's still so fun. And we're doing it together. So even though we're watching TV, we're still doing it together. Exactly. So. It's time together. I love it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was awesome. Thank you. I had so much fun. This is I great. Oh, it's great. I cannot wait. Okay. Tell us what is coming. What's next for you for yeah. Lauren K. Denton and tell us where we can find you online. Okay. I have my next book is called Glory Road and it comes out March 19th. It's, you can pre-order it now if you so choose. Um, and then I am cautiously, carefully stepping into what will be book four, but that's down the road. Um, but we're kind of focused on glory road right now. I'm really excited. I love the story. Um, give us a a little taste. It's, it. Um, it is three women and one family. It's a, um, a teenage daughter named Evan, her mother, Jessie, who's in her upper thirties. And then her mother, Gus, who's 69 and Gus is having memory issues. Then we're not really sure if that's going to turn into something serious. Jesse, the mother uh, or the, I guess Gus's daughter is dealing with, she's a single mother, divorced mother, and she has two men that, unexpectedly pop into her life over the course of the summer. Teenage daughter Evan is just getting into high school in the world of boys and trying to figure out her place in the world. And um, they live on a red dirt road outside of Mobile. Jesse owns a garden shop called Twig. Um, It is just, it's a really, it's a really lovely setting for me. I love kind of putting my head there for the year and spending time there. So I'm real excited about that. But my web, go ahead. Well, you can pre-order it on Amazon or wherever, but my website is laurenkdenton.com, and that's where you can find all my social media stuff and information about the books. Good. Okay, and pre-orders are very important, correct? Yes, I have learned. I have learned they are important because it it tells bestseller list type people, it tells them how much advanced interest there is before the book comes out. So Mm -hmm. it can affect if books get on a certain list. Um, I will say my, both of my previous books have made it on the USA Today bestseller list, but it was not immediate. It came later as I think word of mouth is so important. And I think with both of my books, as people are reading them and enjoying them, they're telling their friends. And so they show up on these lists later, which is completely fine. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Show up there or if I do even, but, Mm. but yes, pre-orders show booksellers and publishers how much interest there is in a book. Okay, so okay. for what it's worth, they're okay. important. 
That's yeah. that's great. Okay, so we can find you on your website, Lauren K. Denton, and then are you on social media? Yes, I'm on Instagram, and Instagram is Lauren K. Denton Books. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and it's all there on my on my page. Okay. All my little buttons are down there. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay, everybody needs to go check it out. Go pre-order Glory Road. Go get hur- Hurricane Season. I'm yes. going to go get The Hideaway. I've heard it's wonderful. Um, oh, so thanks. thank you so much for coming on podcast. Thank you for having me. I will do it anytime. This is fun. Absolutely. I was so honored to have Lauren on the show today to share her story with you. I enjoyed hearing about her best-selling books and how her stories are formed from her experiences in her life. And don't forget to grab a copy of Hurricane Season wherever books are sold and pre-order her latest called Glory Road. And thank you so much for listening. I would love if you could help me out with one little thing. Would you leave a review on iTunes for the podcast? It will only take about two minutes. It helps the podcast out so much, and I really appreciate it. Thanks. Tune in next week when we feature our gift-giving episode. It's counting down the top 10 with Rin. Many new things coming to you from the podcast, and I'm so grateful for you, my listeners, my friends. Remember, we are all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, y'all.